Welcome to the House of God podcast presented by the Collective Choir on Eau Claire Hometown Media. We'll share sermons to help you get to know a different Chippewa Valley church each week and to keep you up to date with the Collective Choir. I'm Shane Spencer, and here's your host, Zachariah Putney. Welcome. It's episode 17. It's exciting. We're getting down to the end of season one here. That'll be 20 episodes toward the end of April here. Well, thank you for sticking with us this long. Or if you're just jumping in, welcome. Hooray. Glad to have you. This week we're featuring Crossroads Church of Chippewa Falls. Pastor Wade Duro has graciously acquiesced to allowing us to use his sermon this week. That sermon will be on Luke 14, Jesus and the Fig Tree. Pastor Wade wanted to add that they're a growing church family making disciples, equipped to honor God, love each other, and reach our communities for Christ. I would like to add briefly that normally we have a testimony in the middle, but this week I wanted to feature a new song that the choir has been working on called This Is The Day. It's going to be oh so good. It's not in its final form yet, but it's getting close. We're going to be having a remix competition that will be open April 10th. For everybody to dive in if you're musically inclined at all and can work the digital audio workstation, remix our song. There's cash prizes. More information on that at collectivechoir.org. Anyway, let's get here to the sermon, Crossroads Church, Pastor Wade Duroux. Let's have her. John Gedert died by suicide. It was just hours after he was charged with two dozen crimes. He was accused of physically, emotionally, and sexually abusing gymnasts under his care. The Michigan attorney confirmed that Gedert took his own life, and he called it a tragic end to a tragic story for everyone involved. He was charged with 24 felonies, That included human trafficking, forced labor, sexual assault, racketeering, and lying to a police officer. One of his victims said she was traumatized beyond words. He tortured and abused little girls, myself included, for more than 30 years and was able to cheat justice, she said. Geddert was a narcissistic abuser. His suicide is an admission of guilt that the entire world can now see. The life and death of John Geddert confirms to us that bad people tend to come to a bad end. Here was an Olympic coach who violated his position by abusing the female athletes entrusted to him. He was a bad egg, and his life came to a bad end. Harsh as it is, it can seem fitting to us. But what would Jesus say about the tragic end of this coach's life? Would he agree that bad people tend to come to a bad end? Or would his insight be something entirely different? Open your Bibles to Luke 13. On the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus emphasized one needful thing, hearing his word. 
He taught his followers to pray with shameless persistence. His exorcism showed that God's rule had come, and he gave only the sign of Jonah. He pronounced woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes. He warned his followers about hypocrisy and fear, confession and denial, worry and greed. He told them to seek God's kingdom and to give generously. He urged them to watch and be ready for his return, and that he came for judgment and division. 13.1 tells us that it was on the same occasion. That is the occasion as Jesus has been speaking to the crowds and the, his disciples. It's been that way all the way through chapter 12. There were some present there. And that word present suggests that they may have been relative newcomers to the scene. That they arrived there and they gave Jesus a report. They reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now Jesus and many of his disciples were from Galilee. That's the area north in Israel. And so these newcomers to the group probably thought they needed to hear what may have been a fairly current report. It was a rather gruesome event. Now, the ancient historians don't write of it, so we don't have any record of it besides what we find here in Luke. Uh, if you've heard of Josephus, he was an ancient historian. He, wrote, he didn't write about this particular event. So it leaves us with more questions than answers. How many? How many people died here? Was it two or three, or was it dozens of people or more than that? Where did it occur? Was it outside of the temple courts or maybe inside? Did it happen while they were offering their sacrifices? When did it occur? Uh, some Bible teachers think it may have occurred during one of the festivals, maybe even a Passover, where the people actually shared in sacrificing their own animals. We just don't know. What we do know is that these people came to a rather tragic end. Pilate slaughtered them so that their blood flowed together with their sacrificial animals. Well, Jesus responded to them. And he could have responded in any number of ways. He could have responded politically by talking about how you know, violent Pilate was in those Romans. He could have talked rather in a sentimental way about how heartbreaking this tragedy was. He could have gotten philosophical, but instead he got theological. And he asked a question, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? This was a fairly common idea amongst the ancient Jews, that those who lived a long, full life were righteous. But those whose lives were cut short, died a terrible death, were not righteous. Was that what they were thinking here? That these Galileans mowed down were somehow worse? Emphatically, he denies it. I tell you no. The condition, unless you repent, his prediction, you will likewise perish. He tells them that unless they turn away from the sin in their lives and turn back and come to the Lord in faithful obedience, they too will meet with destruction. They too will face 
judgment. And then he brings up another tragic situation. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? And we'll stop there. The, the pool of Siloam was a reservoir in the city of Jerusalem, probably near one of the ancient walls that were built. And on that section of the wall, there apparently was a tower. And we don't know why it fell over. Maybe it was natural causes. There was a windstorm or a lightning strike or an earthquake. Possibly it could have been man-made. They were constructing it or doing repairs, and the whole thing fell over. And it tragically killed 18 people. And they said, were, were these worse culprits than the men who live in Jerusalem? That word cul culprits refers to being under obligation. When you're under obligation financially, you're a debtor. When you're under obligation morally and spiritually, you're a sinner. You're a debtor to God. He's asking again, were these people who were tragically killed, 18 of them, when a tower fell on them, somehow worse sinners than anybody else in Jerusalem? Emphatically, he denies it. I tell you, no. The condition, unless you repent, the prediction, you will all likewise perish. Unless they would turn away from their sin and turn back to the Lord in faithful obedience, they will share a similar fate. They too will face judgment. At this point in verse 6, Jesus is reintroduced as the speaker because there's a shift a little bit in the subject. He's now going to tell them a parable. Jesus taught using many parables. They were a story drawn from everyday life, and they tended to have a spiritual point. Usually, not always, but usually one main point. And this is the parable. A man had a fig tree, which he'd planted in his vineyard. So he's got this extensive garden or this vineyard, and he's planted a fig tree there, and it's been planted there for some time, and he came looking for fruit on it. A fig tree would produce fruit once a year, and so at this time he expected to find some, hoped to find some, but he didn't find any. So he spoke to the vine yard keeper, the gardener, the vine dresser. Emphatically he said, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. So he's gone through this for three years, come to his fig tree, just wants to take a fig off of it and eat it, enjoy it, and he hasn't found a single one. So he says, cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? It's just wasting space in my garden. It's just taking up valuable nutrients other plants could use in my vineyard. Chop it down. And he, that is the gardener, the vine dresser, answered and said to him, addresses him as sir, Literally, it's Lord and Master, it's that word, but here it's a polite address to his employer. He says, let it alone for this year too. Let's not chop it down, let's give it another year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. He'll get out his spade and some manure and dig it in around the, the fig tree and poses the possibility that if it bears fruit next year, okay, but assumes that if it doesn't, then cut it down. So the gardener says, let's just uh, hold off here, give it a little more time, fertilize it, see what happens. 
Now, some Bible teachers see a number of images in this parable. And they might interpret it something like this, that the vineyard is a picture of Israel. The tree would be a picture of the fig tree, a picture of the Jews, particularly those in Jerusalem. The men in the parable, both uh, the, the landowner and the gardener, would refer to Jesus. Uh, the three years would be his three years of ministry. Uh, and Jesus in this time came bringing the salvation and mercy to the people of Israel, but they rejected it. They did not repent. They didn't turn to him. They didn't believe in him. And so Jesus is warning them of judgment. And that happened at least partially in 70 A.D. when the Romans came in and just crushed, destroyed Jerusalem. Other Bible teachers think that's just a few too many you know, images. It's a little bit too much imagination there. And they think the point is simply the same one that John the Baptist made. John the Baptist came and he preached, the axe is already laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is warning about judgment upon those who don't repent. He denied that those who were Galileans and, and in Jerusalem who died in these tragic events were any worse than anybody else. The warning is that everybody uh, struggles with sin. And unless there's repentance, they'll face the same kind of situation. Judgment will fall. And he tells this parable of the fig tree that doesn't produce anything and is given one more chance, maybe, to produce figs before it's chopped down. Sin will be the downfall of all of us. If we do not repent, like a fruitless tree, we will be cut down. I think it's still a common thought today that bad people come to a bad end. And so when we think of people like John Geddert or um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein who abuse so many young women and young girls and then they die by suicide, well, it's tragic. But there's at least a part of us that says, yeah, we're bad guys and they got what they deserve. I mean, think about this. What do we think of those 25 people who were jammed in that eight-passenger van on the Mexico-America border, who were slammed into by a semi-truck, and, and there was a great many of them killed and injured? Do, do we think that there were sinners than us? I mean, they were immigrants trying to enter our country illegally. Maybe they got what they deserved. What did we think of those people who were injured or, or killed in those riots and the looting that occurred after the Black Lives Matters protests? Well, they shouldn't have done that. Don't they know better? They got what they deserved. What do we think of those people who stormed our Capitol building and did all that damage and there were people killed and injured there? Oh, they're terrible people. Treacherous traitors, they got what they deserved. What would Jesus say? Do you really think that these people are worse sinners than any of us? Unless we repent, we'll face the same kind of judgment. Let that sink in.
We have in our minds somehow that these other people are worse than us. And we are the ones called to repent. Let us mind about our own sins first before we go casting stones on everybody else. That's good stuff. We'll get right back to that in a minute. Right now I want to share with you a new single from the Collective Choir, This Is The Day. You might hear some familiar voices in there. We've been working hard on it. Hope you like it. It'll be open for a remix contest and will be released for streaming on all major streaming venues out there on April 10th. Take a listen. Everybody lift your eyes. Today's a new day. Collective choir. This is the day. This is the day Shane, tell him how it is Feel the wind hit my lungs God sustain You give me life, I give you praise Thank you Jesus That brokenness from where I've been You're healing me I'll shout it out, I'll say amen Let the world know how losers win And give us life through your word You're the Lord of Lord, help us know. We press on, you've marked the way. Carpe diem, we seize the day. Clear the way, watch and pray. So we say, Church, this is the day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's all a part of His plan. So don't you worry about it. of this age will hear through powers of hell or present pains your victory's coursing through my veins there's purpose every breath i take i'll cling to you my soul awake your praise is on my tongue i make persistent faith the chains will break yesterday has come and gone forget the past i'm pressing on towards the goal i'll get the prize lord help us realize
brothers and sisters. No matter what you're going through today, know that the Lord has a plan because he made today. Let's go. Come on, you people, rejoice. happy with how that is turning out we might have a couple minor tweaks before it's officially released but there it is april 10th we'll get you back to the sermon here pastor wade durow at crossroads church the difficulty with repentance however is that it's hard work we have to confess before the lord god the sins in our lives and that's sins of, sins of thoughts and words and actions. And, and, and the honesty is, we have to do it over and over again. Thankfully, there are some cases where God removes, you know, a sin right away. And we love those testimonies of the drug addict or the alcoholic who says, the Lord took it away overnight. I don't even want any more. Or the person who is angry and bitter and unforgiving, and God touches them, and, and they just have a different attitude that's forgiving and loving and kind. That does happen, but that's a miracle, and it tends to be rare. For most of us, sin is a, is a daily reality, and we are called to confess it and ask God for forgiveness and pray for deliverance. And so what we're looking for in our lives is something like this, that we would go further and further between those acts of sin or thoughts of sin or words of sin. So if we struggle with the sin almost daily, we would go for a week and then a month and then a year and then a decade until that sin was really not a problem. See, none of us here are ever going to be perfect in this life and we don't even try for that. It's not that we're going to be sinless, but we want to sin less. And that, my friends, is hard work, repentance, turning from that sin and turning to the Lord in faithful obedience. It is difficult. And most of us don't really tackle that tough work. Now, if the sin that we're committing causes harm to other people, it's not enough just to go to the Lord and say we're sorry. If we're committing sins that are causing harm to others, physical, mental, whatever, we need to be accountable to other people, family, friends, clergy, uh, counselors and professionals, law enforcement even. 
Because with some sins that are harmless, it doesn't work to say, well, I don't do it as much. Think of, a, think of a guy who says, well, you know, I used to beat my wife, you know, uh, every couple of months, but now I only do it once a year. That's not going to cut it, is it? When the sin is causing harm to others, we have to bring it into the light. Sin loves the darkness. It flourishes when it's a hidden secret. When we begin to tell others, a trusted friend, a family member, the pastor, a, a, a counselor, law enforcement, we bring it to light. That is the hard work of repentance. And again, I warn us that we don't really take that serious. Most of us are saying, well, I know, I've trusted in Jesus. God's grace is sufficient. And that is true. But the Bible also says we cannot go on sinning that grace might abound. We have to be transformed. We have to be new creations. And we cannot continue to wallow in the same sins year after year after year of our lives. We've got to see victories, even if it's step by step and incremental, my friends. We do not want to leave it up to, well, those other people are way worse sinners than me. Sin will be the downfall of us all if we do not repent. Like a fruitless tree, we will be cut down. So, this is the story to remember. You're going to forget most of the sermon, but this story will stick with you. There was this guy, and he had a fig tree in his, in his vineyard. And it had been grown up. It was mature enough to produce fruit, so he came to it looking for fruit, and he didn't find any. And he turned to the garden, and he said, Look it, I've been doing this for three years, looking for one fig on this lousy fig tree, and it hasn't grown a thing. Cut it down. It's wasting space in my vineyard. And the gardener says, hold on. Let's, let, let's take one more year. I'll dig in some fertilizer, manure all around it. Possibly it'll produce some fruit. That's good. If it doesn't, then we'll chop it down. What does it mean? Jesus Christ is looking for fruit in our lives. The fruit of good works. And that first fruit that he wants to see, of course, is the fruit of repentance. Isn't that how our lives begin as believers? That we come to a place in our lives where we say, I have messed up. I'm headed in the wrong direction. I've been doing things my own will, my own way. And we turn to God and we fall down before him and say, I need Jesus in my life. We accept Him as our Savior and Lord, believing that He died and He rose again for us. That's where it all begins. The Christian life begins with that, with that act of repentance, where we invite Christ into our lives and we surrender ourselves to Him. But it doesn't stop there. Again, repentance goes on throughout our lives. Hard work of repentance to try to get that sin pushed back and hopefully, eventually, out of our lives, fully when we enter the kingdom. However, it isn't just the fruit of repentance he's looking for. He's also looking for the fruit of good works. And just for an example, let me give you the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Holy Spirit is to produce in our lives. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Jesus is looking for that fruit in our lives, and if he doesn't see it, what does he tell us? Unless you repent, you too will perish. 
You too will face judgment. You too will be cut down like a tree in judgment. What this means is that we have to pray with shameless persistence. You remember that parable he shared back in chapter 12? The guy knocks at his neighbor's door and says, Give me, he keeps on asking until he gives it to him. He says, pray like that. Pray over and over. Do not be embarrassed to go to the Lord and say, I screwed up again, Lord. I confess it to you. Take it to him. Shameless persistence. Not just asking for his help, but for his forgiveness. We've got to win this battle in sin in our lives. We are called to be new creatures in Christ. New men, new women, new boys and new girls. And not just kind of slide through this and, you know, dismiss our sin because, yeah, well, we're not as bad as those people over there. Sin will be the downfall of us all if we do not repent like a fruitless tree will be cut down in judgment. Years ago, U.S. Weekend Magazine took a poll of over 600 adults they found that 80% of Americans believed in heaven, believed it exists. 72% of them rated their chances of going there as good to excellent. However, many of them said their friends' chances were considerably worse. They thought that only 40% of their friends would make it to heaven. Yeah, the general thought amongst us is, we're doing okay. At least we're not as bad as those other guys. Jesus says, <laughs> stop that. Unless we repent, turn from that sin, turn in faithful obedience to God, we too will face his judgment and like a fruitless tree, be cut down. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I stand here before these people as the chief of sinners, called to be their pastor and yet struggling with sin every day. I thank you for the victories in my life, Father, but I have so much farther to go. And I pray that you would bring us your deliverance from the sin in our lives, that we wouldn't hide it, that we wouldn't keep it in the dark, that we would bring it to you and to others as needed so that we would find the victory that you have for us, that we would be overcomers. All in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks again, Crossroads Church and Pastor Wade DeRoe for sharing your sermon with us this week. You can find them at 209 South Avenue, Chippewa Falls, or at crossroadschurchcf.com. You can hear our music and soon our new single on Spotify and all the other streaming services. April 10th, the single comes out and the remix competition begins. CollectiveChoir.org for all your information on that. You can always donate to us on the website to keep this podcast going beyond season one. God bless you all. Have a nice week. Thanks for listening to the House of God podcast presented by the Collective Choir on Eau Claire Hometown Media. To find out more about the Collective Choir or the church you heard about in this podcast, please follow us on Facebook or visit www.collectivechoir.org.